0: You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early-stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on these podcasts. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's guest speaker, we have victor goodwine founder and managing partner at m25 which is heavily focused on investing in midwest of the united states and since we never really covered midwest investing in previous episodes i figured it's gonna be super fun super interesting to see what's going on there where's it going as a startup scene and where does Victor think is the future of the Midwest startup ecosystem? So, Victor, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on M twenty five.
1: Of course, thanks for having me, Constantine. This is really great to be on here. Um, just a little bit of background on me is I'm from Indiana originally and went to school at the University of Chicago. Have stayed in Chicago ever since and had a really um, interesting history early on with. With trying to launch some of my own startups, including a scooter startup before that was uh, a a good opportunity to be involved with, but that actually led me into venture capital and I was on the founding board of a student run venture fund. Which, you know, I, I did a little bit of that it was, it was pretty small scale, but it really got me hooked and I really wanted to be in venture capital after that and so. I, I had a, a few corporate jobs out of school, but then eventually was able to start my own fund, uh, M25, in 2015. We had our first fund was just a tiny $1 million fund, kind of doing a, a beta or a concept of what we we eventually uh, hope to launch. I met my partner, Mike Asim, shortly after launching M25. And within a year, he had joined us right before our first close on the second fund in 2016. Um, and since then, we've gone on to raise some more funds and uh, make over a hundred investments across the Midwest region, uh, with kind of a hub being in Chicago. Uh, but now we also have an office in Indianapolis, and nice. we've invested in in about 24 different cities now across kind of this uh, 11, 12-state area that we've invested in. So, um, yeah, so that's our that's kind of our story and where we've gotten to so far
0: nice that's really cool so first question is the standard for pretty much every single investor that comes up on fundraising radio what does m25 investing in in terms of stage field average size, and where we know that you like to invest in Midwest? west so that's already covered
1: (laughs) well um you know, the, I think the first thing to understand is we're relatively general investors across tech and digital startups. So this could be both B2B and B2C, SaaS, e-commerce, digital marketplaces, those types of businesses that could be really, really big in a relatively short amount of time with a relatively small amount of capital. Um, the type, the stage of company is what you know we now kind of call pre-seed or early seed. Uh, the companies are usually less than a 1Million dollars in revenue on occasion. We have invested in a high quality founding team. That's pre revenue. But most of the companies have maybe 5 to 50,000 dollars a month in revenue. And we are investing in around anywhere from 500 K to maybe two and a half three million 3Million dollars. Uh, usually with a valuation uh, post money valuation is, is less than 10Million. Usually in that, um, you know, two or, or three to you know seven million posts is probably where the vast majority of our investments take place. So pretty early, uh, maybe some of the mm-hmm. first institutional investor involved.
0: So Nice. That's really cool. I personally love early stage investor because I'm pretty much one of them myself. So <laughs> heavily biased there, but still, I think it's justified. So first question, why Midwest? Why are you so focused on Midwest besides, you know, the fact that you grew up there?
1: yeah i mean the midwest is is a place that traditionally is not known as being a tech hub you know we think of silicon valley i think of boston new york now la even but the the, the reality is it's it's 10 percent of all u.s venture deals and there's several cities that have that have had unicorn exits they've grown tremendous companies that have not necessarily been able to attract the types of capital they have on the coast so it's a little bit of an opportunity these 10% of all U.S. venture deals receive less than 5% of all U.S. venture funding. To me, that screamed opportunity. It screamed, this is a place that, just because there's not a hub of angel activity, of early stage capital, seeking out um, seeking out these great founders and great opportunities, doesn't mean that great companies can't be based here. And there's a, there are some natural advantages, such as cost of living, the cost of talent, the proximity to core customers, um, and, you know, it's also, you know, kind of just, a uh, the central uh, hub for a lot of different industries in the US, whether it's fi- you know, some, some fintech sectors, consumer retail sectors. Healthcare, agriculture, manufacturing, there's a lot of different you know supply chain logistics that could go on. There's a lot of different major, um, you know, major major industries here. So we're, I was excited about that and I was excited that this is the place with, uh. With with a little bit of of a gap, um, where where somebody like us can go in and start a fund relatively from scratch, and uh, and actually you know, and and you know start making the best investments um, that that you know, can be found. So that was kind of our my, my my reasoning and why I'm still really excited about this geography.
0: Mm-hmm. Now that we've covered the major benefit of investing in Midwest. What do you think are the major downsides of investing in Midwest? So, you know, what are the major problems that you're seeing pretty much on a daily basis, or that you face, yeah. especially when you were launching this fund? I mean,
1: there historically the the biggest issues have been uh, it's been hard to attract capital for some of our companies that are scaling rapidly because once again, investors are are generally looking more in their backyard. There's just not as much capital here. Additionally. Um, it has been harder to find a highly experienced tech talent, at least at the scale sometimes that you need, um, compared to some of the coastal hubs. Thankfully, living in a COVID in remote environment has actually kind of flipped the script on that overnight, where people are both moving here, uh, investors are seeking investments across the nation for the first time, and remote work enables us to hire and scale out nationwide, uh, you know, the talent pool. So. That isn't quite as much of a problem as it has been. Of course, you know, I think there are still some residual effects. But, but the thing that still may linger is I do push on on founders here to to just try to be, you know to try to think bigger sometimes than they're naturally going to be inclined to because they're not necessarily surrounded by some of the hype and the uh, grandness of founders, how they think about it in Silicon Valley or New York, and some of the ways that that might push them. I think sometimes founders in the Midwest will say, "Hey, I think a $10 million or a $50 million exit would be amazing." I think a company that's really large for my city, not for the the U.S. or for the world, um, they're, they're thinking on a little bit of a smaller scale. Not everybody, of course. And I think we're we're trying to help push the the mindsets there to bring a little bit more of a broader, bigger mindset. But that maybe has been holding some founders back. They're not necessarily thinking as big. pushing their companies to be as big so you know we're seeing that as a a growth point for the founders out here
0: Mm -hmm. got it nice so speaking of the problems on midwest and upsides on the midwest let's talk a little bit about the founder perspective because most of our listeners are not investors but founders so from the founder perspective you know there is a big tendency of especially big corporations moving out from the coastal cities to pretty much anywhere else. (laughs) So uh, from the founder perspective, what do you think a founder should actually consider instead of going to one of those famous coastal cities, uh, staying in Midwest or even moving from outside of the United States into the United States, but not the coast, but the Midwest?
1: I mean, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to just show what a salary in expensive coastal hub uh, can can, you know, 100 K what that would be the equivalent cost of, of making uh, of living in the, in the Midwest. And it's, it's usually very significant as far as the, the difference for how much, you know, how much a 100,000 thousand dollar salary would get you. Um, additionally, you can start to look at it as, um, you know, hey, for, you know, for a 300,000 dollar home. You know, what could you buy in in L.A. or San Francisco or Miami? Versus what could you buy in uh, Indianapolis or Ohio or even Chicago uh, has a, has a, you know a better uh, cost value there. So you know that's that's one of the things. But I think you know that that's that's a little bit you know that that's ec- the economics of why you might want to 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 pick up and go here. But there's also like you know I, I would say it's one of the the best advantages for reaching customers. Um, mm-hmm. have the mo- this region has the most Fortune 500s than any other region in the Midwest, or sorry, in the U.S. And it also uh, is is you're highly prox. You know, like the types of customers that you could be should be selling into are, are probably not necessarily just venture back startups that may be for you know dozens and hundreds of years. So I think like that's that's, component as well the proximity to a uh, comp thyries graduate from the Midwest every year city hub um, and in and, and Candlish, the pace of life the quality of life I mean people talk about that but um, you know there's a reason why if you're from Ohio sometimes you go and you get your experience in, in New York or California and then you come back and raise your family. Back in Ohio, where you're from, or back in Minnesota, where you're from. So I think that's, that's kind of a, uh, you know, part of the part of the, the story itself. So.
0: Right. So you've described a lot of benefits of living in the Midwest and I agree with. All of them? Yeah, with all of them, actually. But the major downside, especially that I see, you know, living in a coastal city, living specifically in Los Angeles is that, you know, uh, Midwest is not as densely populated with startup founders and investors. So I see a lot of networking issues there. Do you think that's still an issue? Do you think it's going to be an issue after COVID? And how would you recommend founders from Midwest you know, take care of that issue? How, how would you recommend them uh, you know, solving this problem for them?
1: I mean, that's that's a great point and something that we noticed early on is that when we invest in a founder here they don't necessarily have that network of other like-minded founders that are chasing a really big startup dream in their city and it's really impressive when you look at the midwest as a whole but it is sometimes can be isolating from city to city Um, you're a little bit you know you, you have a relatively limited pool of resources and connections in your, own, um, in your own area. So we actually, you know, we launched midweststartups.com and that's to pool talent, to pool connections and resources in one hub. We also, when we invest in a company, we call it Club M25. And we intentionally are trying to bring founders from St. Louis and Columbus and Ann Arbor and the Twin Cities. We're trying to bring them together both in person, at least before and after COVID, uh, in person, and then online as well through um, kind of just connections one-on-one, through Slack channels, through digital events that we've done, and that has actually I think really helped our founders because now they have a, a pool of other uh, of other people that are venture backed. They are high quality, um, a high quality team, high quality um, you know company. But they just don't necessarily have all their entire friend group, uh, you know, is is a, is a tech founder, right? So that is something that we've been trying to you know to solve for. And I think people's uh, you know for the first time ever, they're they are spending um, most of their social interactions are all digital, um, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. And I think some of that will still be the case even after we go back into our offices and and such. So I am hopeful that that continues to tie. Uh, the, the Midwest together and kind of create a larger community out of it. So that's, that's some of what we're doing and some of the way we think
0: about it. I think it it is a struggle though. True, true. I'm definitely agreeing with you on the fact that, you know, even after COVID, a lot of those you know habits that we acquired during the COVID are going to remain, for example, Clubhouse. I don't think it's going to go away once the COVID is over. <laughs> so that's, by the way, Clubhouse is a great example of a place where you can make connections really easily. So like one of our portfolio companies actually raised like 10, 15% of the round by, from the connections that they got on Clubhouse. So that place is just insanely useful for, for founders, especially founders who don't have much of a network. So definitely, if you are still not on Clubhouse, definitely check it out. Um, So yeah, that's, that's gonna be my advice. While you're listening to the end of this episode, check out the Clubhouse, while listening. So moving on to the next question, let's talk a little more about you know being unique in Midwest. So your portfolio consists over over half of your portfolio consists of underrepresented founders. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this happened? Were you actually specifically targeting underrepresented founders? Or was it just, you know, some kind of accident? Yeah,
1: so I mean, I think a little bit, uh, what, what's even more interesting is that in the Midwest, I think we have probably relative, like relative to other, um, you know, startup hubs, we probably have a le- less diverse of an investor base than even, you know, than even those hubs. And I think part of it is, you know, just kind of like legacy, you know, just not having a lot of of innovation and in VC firms coming up here in this region historically. Um, but what that means is that us being a a very diverse team ourselves. Um, we have actually, I think, attracted. Uh, you know, attracted the founders that are here that are diverse. Um, we've actually attracted, I think, more, uh, more than our fair share and and what has happened is from the very beginning, we've tried to. More objectively analyze our startup investments and be more consistent with the investment decisions you know instead of just investing because we like that team uh which has a lot of inherent biases and subjectivity we've been trying to um to bring a lot more what what is actually good and kind of scoring and comparing deal by deal and so that naturally led to where we we noticed hey we have a higher density of of women founded black founded latinx founded um companies than then the the market has as an average and then that has then had a flywheel effect um you know when we've invested in some a lot of our best sources of 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 you know opportunities come from founders themselves that we've backed and so they're referring their friends and we're mm-hmm. sourcing more deals and and also we have a lot of intentionality on our team to make sure that we can be a conduit in sourcing more deals that are not just from your white male founders. And, you know, in that's that's been huge for us. And right now our current fund sits at over fifty percent is a black, Latinx or female founded company. So that's that's really exciting. And that's been something that's completely, you know, not it's not a mandate. It's not something that we're doing because we feel like we have to, it's, it's been an opportunity and it's, I think it's been absolutely incredible. So, um, yeah, so I think that we're just trying to, we're just trying to be way more open and accepting and kind of trying to source from the entire market of, of, of founders. So, and this,
0: this is awesome. Big respect for you. I mean, to you, for that, this is just really impressive. Having over half of the portfolio being, uh, consisting of underrepresented founders, that's just, huge great work so what about uh, those underrepresented founders who are staying in midwest what could you recommend them to do in terms of raising capital should they try to you know visit coastal cities for a few months just to raise their money or should they try to stick in midwest and you know bump around funds like yourself because i mean you have only this much capability you can process mm-hmm. all of them unfortunately so what would you recommend those of the uh, underrepresented founders in midwest who you cannot you know invest in what should they do yeah.
1: well i mean yeah i mean i think you have to go to a broader market i think every founder you know what whatever they look like i think they i think they you need to go to the broader pool of capital and this is a time when people on the coast are going to be most willing to invest in a midwest headquartered company um, than they ever have before um so i think that needs to be uh, a priority and i would i mean i would look to what does their portfolio look like have they shown a willingness to to back founders of all different types before just because you know you you as a founder have a limited amount of time to pitch people to reach out to people and, you know, you don't necessarily want to, like, if, if they're, if they're, you know, maybe not, not inclined, I, I would, I would, I would say, hey, who's actually backing um, founders that look like me? And I, I would actually, I would do that because, um, you know, you're likely to be given a fair shot at, at firms that look like, you know, that have done that. So.
0: Absolutely. Good, good advice. Great call. And on this. Good call. We're moving on to probably my favorite part of the episode. which is talking about failure. So, Victor, you've started your own scooter company before scooters were even a thing. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that happened? You know, what happened there and how did this company end?
1: Yeah, so I, I was the guy that went to college and was like, wait, we have to walk everywhere. And... <laughs> and so I actually brought my scooter, my that you know every, a lot of kids have when they're growing up, they have their scooter. I brought that and thought that that would be kind of a fun and faster way to get around. And I quickly broke it, being the adult <laughs> riding that scooter around. And but I found out, okay, you know, could scooters, could there be adult scooters? What is that? You know, could we, could we start using those to get around campus? I I you know found some online, bought some. Some of my friends bought bought some. Like we people started using it like it it was it was a little bit though the issue was um you know we we had this idea we saw the boosted boards um you know the boosted board was one of the first that really brought like lithium ions and small motors at like that are really highly high powerful high capable to small like micro mobility that wasn't really a thing then and i was like that would be that would be the model that makes it more widely adaptable because like riding a kick scooter is not like is not gonna gonna take off. It just okay. looks a little bit like a child. Um and then at the same time we, you know, the capital needed to invest in this or to use it like you had to carry this thing around. So we actually had a rental model, but there was no like we, we did not have the capacity as a team or uh you know the technical expertise to actually enable some of this. So we had we were kind of hacking together something for a couple of years, and you know it was it was a great learning experience. It never really got further than our campus, and it never got to the, the you know where we could iterate on, you know actually um, a, you know the, the model that came to be true. And I look at some of the founders of Bird and Lion, and I was like, okay, those people coming from like Uber and Lyft and such, and it's like that, that's you know they had the, both the experience and the track record the resources to be able to bring these types of scooters to market at scale, to build and, and you know, prototype and manufacture them. So, you know, it was a whole different game of what eventually happened. But, you know, I, I was early on a good idea <laughs> or at least a, a compelling idea, which, which, and, and also that was kind of my first exposure to, to, a, you know, what could could have been a venture back startup. Um, and, you know, I thought that was, you know, that, that was incredible. It got me actually, I, that was the 1st stepping stone I had into looking at other people's businesses, because I started connecting with other. Campus entrepreneurs and founders, people building apps, people uh, working on 3D printing startups at the time. Like It was really interesting. And that's what got me involved with the venture co-founding a venture capital firm at the university. So. Um, yeah, so that was that was that was kind of my journey there. So I think ultimately it's a success because it led me here, mm-hmm. but uh, it was definitely a failure uh,
0: on its own. <laughs> <laughs> Just like pretty much ninety nine percent of failures, it always leads to something better at work. Okay. 99 percent, it leads to something better and one percent is just is just failure so <laughs> luckily in your case, it was failure leading to success but let's talk a little bit more about you know how you could have changed that so a lot of our listeners are actually young entrepreneurs starting their first companies right now so what could you recommend to those people who are trying to raise their companies right now you know, maybe, it's someone who is in college, seeing a problem, trying to solve it for themselves, and like, hey, I think I can make it into a business. What would you recommend doing? Uh, what would you recommend those people to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's there's there's a, there's a lot, right? I think some of the some of the stuff is to like you have to you have to learn and absorb a lot of stuff quickly. Um, you have to be like constantly reading books some but like really blogs listening to podcasts like this hearing people's stories but and also trying to like you know i think one of the most important things in in business is networking but with you know it has to be relevant it has to be kind of mutually value-add networking but i think like that's something i didn't necessarily value immediately and i'm looking back at some of the connections i did make and how valuable those were and i you know kind of just wish i had uh i had to kind of put myself out there more kind of putting myself out there helping or trying to be valuable and just seeing what kind of came out of it. Um, that's been the, what's most been most valuable starting a venture capital firm from scratch. You know, that's, that's been maybe what, what I've been done, done best. Um, but I think like, I I would kind of, you know, that's one thing I would do. I mean, there's a lot of like basic blocking and tackling that I think you need to get done starting your own company. Um, you know, you could do a whole several podcasts on just like, Making sure you get started up with legal and company formation. Making sure you choose your founders and co-founders well. Um, how to uh, kind of think about the market, think about your initial customers, product market fit, customer discovery. There's a whole bunch of that that I think that kind of goes back to my advice. Just read and absorb, talk to people and learn from them. Um, that's kind of you know what I you know, when I look back, what I wish I did more. That's that's a lot of it's in that that capacity, right? Versus just being uh-huh. it heads down on your own business, just trying to grind it
0: out. So True, true. So one more thing before we move on to, oh, actually, never mind. So you mentioned, you know, listen to other podcasts, I'll look at the blogs, try to observe, you know, others' experiences. Do you have any resources that you would specifically recommend to early stage founders? Um, I mean, except for radio, of course, which is quite obvious.
1: Well, yeah, that's why we're on here. <laughs> um no, I, I think uh I mean yeah, I, there's there's just there's so much out there. I, I do think that if you are gonna go down a venture funding path, like I do recommend venture deals the book. Um I know I learned a lot and referenced that quite a bit to people. Um, but it's there's a lot of great content out there. So I don't I don't wanna like I think everybody kinda has to find their own. I, I do a lot of newsletters, I do a lot of blogs. Um And some people are like podcast people or, or, you know, they watch YouTube uh, series. You know, there's a lot
0: of there's a lot of stuff. So I'll just I'll leave it at that. (laughs) True. And by the end of the episode, I'll probably mention a few more links or resources that I personally find helpful. And I'll make sure to leave them in the description of this episode. So. If you're curious now check out the description of this episode it's going to be already there so moving on to the next question that's the part of your LinkedIn that I personally was like wait why is that <laughs> so <laughs> that question is you're part of Kaufman Fellows uh, what are you doing this I thought Kaufman Fellows is like for beginning VCs who are you know trying to figure out where to move on how to get into this VC field but it seems like you're not the beginning VC so <laughs> why are you there?
1: Yeah, I mean the I think when Coffin Fellows started over twenty, like I think twenty-five years ago now, I think it was to get people into venture capital. Um and so that's why the conception's there. But in the like it's in the past, you know, two decades, it's really transformed and matured. And I think what it has become now is I was actually the youngest VC in my fellows class. Most of the most people had somewhere between five to twelve years of venture experience that were going through this for the first time, and they uh, they were you know I kind of described probably a third of them were um, managing their own funds that they had started, um, or been one of the founding partners on, or they were a rising star, uh, maybe senior associate principal um, at a, a you know well known top firm. Um, oh. And, you know, I think what it allowed for me to do as somebody with my own firm, I learned so much from my peers. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of content. You meet every quarter for a two-year period. There's a lot of great content, a lot of great speakers, but I probably learned most from my peers and my peer groups and some of the relationships I formed, some of the ways that we would discuss and ask questions to each other that we're still doing today on a group on a giant group chat, basically. And those are some also some of you know the way that i was able to probably expand my network so rapidly in venture capital to help my portfolio companies to help myself when i'm trying to raise money when i'm trying to learn about you know of the dynamics of running a venture capital firm and so kind of going back to my advice earlier to, to founders too it's like that's a huge networking piece for me that's a huge way that i was trying to lean in and just add value and then who knows where it comes from me this was another you know huge network and like really some close friendships that i have gotten out of out of the Coffin fellows program so i recommend it my, my my actually the other partner in 25 mike i mentioned earlier he's going through the Coffin fellows right now um you know i i, I think it's for anybody trying to, that knows they want to be that they want to stay in vc i would recommend that they can you know that they that they consider Hoffman the fellows at some point because it's been really instrumental
0: in my career and kind of taking me to the next level. Nice. Yeah. I know this program is great, but I always, I kept recommending it to founders who were like, Oh yeah, once, once I'm done with this company, I'm definitely going to switch over to VC just to get a taste of it or just to people who are, you know, in the university and trying to figure out, you know, how to get into VC. I was like, oh, always go to Calhoun fellows. Uh, here's a link, you know, check it out. It's going to be helpful for sure. But apparently it's for all levels, which is awesome. And yeah, I'll, uh, never mind. I'm not going to leave a link to it. It's, it's super easy to find it on the internet. So just search Kaufman Fellows if you want to get into VC. And yep, the first result is going to be there. I'm pretty sure it's the right result. <laughs> so now on this note, let's move on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So Victor, what do you want the listener to do right after the episode is over?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you are uh venture-backed startup in the midwest i want you to check us out and see if we might be right to you our, our website's m25vc.com we talk about kind of the stage and types of companies uh that's most appropriate you can reach out to us there you can also email me victor at m25vc.com um, if you're more of a, an investor and you know you want to kind of consider you know working together on a deal co-investing sharing deal flow same thing feel free to reach out to me uh, we work, we've co-invested with hundreds of firms at this point across our, our vast portfolio. And I think you know, it makes, if it makes sense to connect, uh, please reach out. So that's kind of my call to action. It's just
0: I'm you know, trying to source deals and co-invest with people. So. Nice. Perfect call to action. I'll make sure to leave those links in the description of this episode. I'll also leave a link to Victor's LinkedIn M25, and also to a book that recently I got from a friend of mine and previous speaker of fundraising Radio. It's the book on uh, getting into the VC fields. It's like super detailed and it's also super free. So yes, anyone who's interested in that, who's interested in getting into the VC, definitely check out the description of this episode. All this stuff is going to be there. And as usually, have a good day.